Hey, it's your old pal Slim, and you're listening to Faves, an upbeat talk show where the guest chooses the topic. In this episode, we're talking anime. Megan Kearney is an award-winning Toronto-based cartoonist known for her webcomic Beauty and the Beast, hit reblog from Bedside Press, and her writing on Disney Princess. She also manages the co-work studio Comic Book Embassy. This week, Megan chose to discuss the first two episodes of the long-running anime, Case Closed. This series has run for nearly 1,000 episodes, and I'd never even heard of it before she chose it as her topic. We also discussed what she enjoys about anime and manga and where you should start. Enjoy! I looked at the Wikipedia and I almost fell over. Nine hundred <laughs> episodes have aired, and even with nine hundred episodes, it's only the sixteenth longest anime to date. Right? It's one of those strange ones uh, in that it really didn't make much impact over here when they tried to bring it over, but overseas and in a lot of different countries, it's this just huge, huge phenomenon. Like there's a whole city named after this thing. Get out. Yeah, Conan O'Brien was having a bit of a public feud with uh, the Detective Conan franchise recently. So I think that's drawn a little more attention to it. But otherwise, it kind of didn't make much of a splash over here. Yeah, 22 feature films based on the series. And so then I started digging into the manga. I also read the first uh, trade. Oh, uh, great. And too. that has sold over 200 million volumes and that makes it the fourth best-selling manga. And I, I kind of say this a few times on the show and with friends, but as a comics reader that has been reading for since I was eight, I guess mainstream comics reader, it's so crazy to think of the amount of manga that is sold elsewhere that unless you know someone that also reads manga, you're like totally clueless to the fact of what's going on around the world. Yeah, it's interesting. Comics is such an insular field that we're even insular within our insular field. Hmm. Like, a, you know, a Marvel reader has no idea what's happening with indie comics. Uh, maybe an indie reader has no idea what's going on in manga. A manga reader has no idea what's happening in bande dessinée. Like, we're really uh, a very segmented field. Yeah, I can't think of, I don't know, I guess other mediums are similar just because of language barriers, but... There are translated works, so it's, it's I don't know, it just doesn't feel as obvious as it is with comic books and, and manga. Yeah, I think, I think we're kind of broken up um, along lines of art style, almost, mm -hmm. because the storytelling is very, very different uh, in manga, in mainstream floppies, in, you know, middle grade comics, in autobio comics, in cooking comics. We're using these same tools, but we use them very, very differently. Uh, and I think that that can be a little jarring for a reader who feels very familiar with one style of storytelling to suddenly be tossed into a different style of storytelling where they thought they would feel very familiar. What was the first anime you've ever seen? Oh, back in the day. <laughs> um, the first one I was really big into would have been Sailor Moon. Mm. But I think I had seen some things that were animated in Japan before then, but been too little to really pick out that that's what it was. That's a funny reference because that, that might be the first anime i've ever like seen just on television you know or became aware of because i was growing up watching you know power rangers and then you eventually start to dig in me and my friends you know obtained a vhs from japan 
of the original, you know, Power Rangers program. Oh, wow. So we were like watching it and it, I don't even think it was dubbed or subtitled at all. So we were just like, what are we watching? <laughs> and I think like Sailor Moon was, I, I would have to think that young boys around my age probably thought that that's just what anime was, you know, like over the top animation of, I, you know, probably boys my age would have no care to watch something like Sailor Moon. You know, until they got older and, and saw what else is out there. Well, that's an interesting thing to say. I know that it did very well with a female audience, but I think there was a, a large and quiet male audience as well. Mm. I think there might have been a sense of like, oh, I'm enjoying this and it's really interesting, but I don't think it's for me and maybe I shouldn't say anything about it. <laughs> right. Don't want to reveal myself to the world, <laughs> to my, uh, my anime Kids phase. are mean. Yeah, that's true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. I'm trying to think of what the first one that I've seen, because I don't think I've ever really even watched Dragon Ball, which was another, I I don't know if that's even correctly considered like a mainstream American oh, now, manga. Here's, here's where I reveal that I'm a fake geek girl. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so I didn't watch Dragon Ball until recently, and I got into it through DBZ Abridged, uh, which is hilarious and raunchy and very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I feel like such a fake that I had to come to it through parody rather than like, ah, yes, I've... me, the anime purist, enjoying <laughs> some fine, fine Toriyama. <laughs> well, that's not even true because compared to you, I would be the fake geek boy because I mean, like this is the first time I've ever even heard of Case Closed to begin with. So I think you win this round. <laughs> oh, I Case Closed, uh, Detective Conan is a funny one because I kind of, I stumbled into it. It aired very, very briefly uh, on YTV, like late on Thursday nights. So I think I caught it in university and was like, all right, anime, cool, I'll mm-hmm. watch this. Uh, and I just sort of didn't think of it again until finding a couple copies in a used bookstore. And again, my relationship with it for a long time was just like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll buy that for a toonie. Sure. Two bucks? Sounds good. Uh And it wasn't until I had sort of amassed a little stack of them that I started getting really, really hooked and realizing like, oh, okay. Like I was just enjoying this casually when I found it. Oh, now I'm going down this rabbit hole. How many volumes are out? 60? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. There's, there's so, there's so much out there to be, to be consumed. So how long did it take you to, and how far did you get in the library? Well, you know, I started buying them out of order because that's how I had encountered them. I was picking them up secondhand. And so I still do have holes in my collection, but I have about 54 of the English language volumes right now. Wow. And I have the entirety of the series as it ran in English. So the first five seasons. Mm. Uh, and oh my goodness, I hope we can talk about this dub. This dub <laughs> is batshit. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, so I, I put it on and episode one which I believe is called The Big Shrink. This is the very first episode. And I went in just totally ignorant of the any of like the story even or like mm-hmm. anything about it. So for those that haven't seen it yet, it kind of starts off with this young boy, maybe teenager, I guess in high school. Yeah, um, he's 16 or 17. And, and he's kind of like a young Sherlock Holmes, just boy detective, smarter than Sherlock Holmes almost in, in the way he stumbles upon these, these um these murder cases. And I don't know if it was the version that I saw, but I mean, the intro music, the kind of like rock synth intro music to the show playing, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I can't wait to (laughs) 
just to bask in whatever this show is about. My name's Jimmy Kudo, and I've always wanted to be a great detective. Over the years, I've worked at perfecting the craft, impressing almost everyone, except maybe Rachel. But then some bad guys ambushed me, slipping me some kind of poison. Now what's gonna happen? It, it opens up like right off the bat, he's solving a murder case. And I was so blown away because he, the show starts off with him and he solves the this murder in like two seconds. Jimmy Kudo is his name. J- Jimmy is the, <laughs> you know, the American version of his name. You know, that famous Japanese name, Jimmy. <laughs> I was honestly enthralled in the first scene. I was all in after it. Yeah, it's so funny to go back to that first episode. Uh, you know, 900 episodes later Crazy. to go back and see like, oh, wow, there's that 1994 budget looking good, guys. <laughs> um, and it's also funny to see them playing that really upbeat theme song um, because people who would have been watching that, like, this is a new show. Mm-hmm. It's never come out before. We don't know what's supposed to be happening. This is a very cheerful song over a man being bludgeoned to death, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How did he even get to the murder scene case at that point was he still i guess in our in theory a friend of the police force that they brought on because i don't maybe i missed how he was even there to begin with i think they just hand wave that (laughs) Uh, yeah i love that in this in this world of detective conan high school detective is just a thing Mm -hmm. it's like oh yeah you're in high school so you uh into sports uh crime solving it's just like, oh yeah, of course, teen detective. We we have those. I guess it's the Hardy Boys and it's Nancy Drew. Uh, I always think of that Kate Beaton comic um, about the shitty teen detectives. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I like about this character. He yeah. is he's such a shitty teen. He is. Uh, he's just he's so terrible and he's so cocky and he's just gonna waltz into places and solve murders and like kick a man in the head. And Rachel even points out you know how he they're walking to school or whatever on the street and he like kicks a soccer ball you know amazingly makes this goal and she even remarks like oh if you weren't wasting your time with the detective work you could be you know a national star at nationals right now if you really wanted to and he talks about how well my icon Sherlock Holmes you know he took up these hobbies too like fencing like they kept him sharp he like would not stop talking about sherlock holmes in front of rachel and that was like one of his main flaws that he was so cocky and loved (laughs) sherlock holmes loved uh the stories about him i thought that was hilarious i think a lot of the joy of the series is in watching this uh supremely competent and cocky boy be literally taken down to size so that was another thing the main thing this episode ends where he sees uh I actually we'll, we'll get to the the middle portion, but the end of the episode, he is shrunk by a poison and looks now like a little boy. And yeah. the rest of the series, unbeknownst to me, he is essentially literally boy detective, and he solves cases while trying to find the perpetrators that gave him the shrinking poison. And it's a series about him, but in a boy's body. And I was like, yeah. my mind was blown. It's a series about a child teen detective. We're right. like three three layers deep now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I jokingly tell people that this series is about a short detective who gaslights his girlfriend and roofies her dad for 25 years straight. 
this is so crazy because I was thinking to myself at the end of the first episode, he or the end of the second episode, he he's no closer to the perpetrators. And then I look online, there's 900 episodes, there's 60 <laughs> volumes. I was like, so how long is he stuck in this boy's body for until he finally solves it? I was crazy. So here's the fun part. The events of this series are supposed to happen over the course of mm, six to eight months. Oh, my God. But it's been on TV for 25 years. <laughs> so at this point, that's about four murders a day. <laughs> the poor townspeople of his local, you know, habitat. I got there's just so much murder happening around there. I have a theory that at this point, he's just masterminding all of these killings <laughs> to show off how clever he is. And the whole thing is just this sort of psychopath stage play. Oh, God, what an ending that would be. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, but, but speaking of like these murders, so episode one, he, they go on this date, he and Rachel finally, and they're on a roller coaster. And there's a section of the roller coaster ride that goes dark. And as they come out of that section, someone's head has been cut off on their roller coaster. And now they're, they're set to find out who performed their murder. And it through an un- amazing circumstance, the, the the perpetrator was on the roller coaster. How about just the work that this woman went through to kill this man who, you know, jilted her in the past? What an elaborate murder scheme. Why? I love these silly, complicated killings. I think they're just ridiculous and fun. Like, oh, there's no way a reader is going to solve that. Yeah. But it's fun to watch the performance of things being solved. I, I liked how the the one of the, I think even the quote of the promotion of the book is, "Can you solve the case before Conan?" I, I love that. That's no. so, that, that's so fun. But you'll, <laughs> you're never going to do it. No, because it's always going to be like, "Oh, the code was written on the inside of these clamshells and then buried at the beach." And like, oh, it's, it's always so. I guess it has to be out there if you're going to write, you know, nine hundred different murders. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it is so much fun just seeing things logically fall into place. And I think that's the appeal of the genre in general. It's not that we're like, ah, yes, I'm going to watch a gruesome killing, my favorite evening activity. But it's sort of the, I think there's a pleasure in seeing something resolved. Mm. And there's something, uh, it sort of almost sanitizes a scary world mm. to think like, oh, well, a master, a master sleuth could fix this could figure it out, could tie up all these loose ends. I was wondering, too, about the popularity of this genre, um, because, I don't know, it's, it's, it's already a weird idea. Like, the, the teen detective then turned into a younger boy detective. And, I mean, but it's obvious that the, the popularity is there. To me, like, you know, it's, I'm so out of it. But it's just crazy to think that this kind of fun, funny but then also like kind of violent and dark. It's very violent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just, it just maintains its popularity and it connects with so many people that, that find it enjoyable. I mean, honestly, I, the manga I read after the first two episodes, I loved the manga. Like I loved it just as much as the show. And I am excited to, to continue reading it because it does connect. It's like this weird, I don't know. I don't want to call it a disconnect, but it's like this weird feeling of enjoyment finding this young child solving murder cases. I don't even know how to explain it. Oh, it even gets, it just, it gets better as it goes. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. And I was, I was surprised at how well it holds up. But at any rate, yeah, they, we had a murder date happening, didn't we? Yeah. God, what a, what a great date that was for those two. 
I'd say that's an ideal date for those two. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that I called out specifically in the manga and the episode, but I love the kind of early victory where they, they like point at someone as the murderer, like, uh, but, and then, but then in each case, they do like a big splash page reveal of who the actual murderer is. And that's like one of the most, my favorite parts of the episodes and the manga is when he like points up his finger and then they reveal the murder. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's just very, it's satisfying. It's energetic. Like, yeah. I do want to know who the killer is. Tell me how they did it. Bring him to justice. Yeah. Then at the end of this episode, that's when he is shrunk and the me watching it for the first time, I thought it was so crazy. Um, and then the second episode, he meets up with this scientist friend of his and the scientist friends like tells him essentially, don't tell anyone about this until we figure it out because your enemies want to know or would, would use this against you essentially. So he takes up your family in danger. Exactly right. And he puts up this other, this new persona Conan, who is like, you know, the son of a friend and they suggest to him or actually through circumstances, he ends up like living with Rachel and her father, who is kind of this down in his luck PI who I think is maybe my favorite character of the, of the manga and the first two episodes. Oh, he's great. He becomes a really big part of the series. Uh, so he's a former cop who is now an alcoholic private eye uh, living in a shitty walk up with his daughter. His wife has left him um, and he's down on his luck. And, uh, it doesn't show up in the first volume but for the rest of the series conan is going to be roofing this man and using him as a puppet to solve crimes i was wondering how he was going to get away with it for 800 episodes because at the end of um the final or the final story in the manga the the trade the 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 cop gets knocked over the head and unconsciously sits in a chair and Conan goes behind him and puts on a bow tie voice modulator and starts like acting as him and explaining the case. And I'm like thinking to myself, how is this going to be the case every murderer? And this is how he reveals, you know, the perpetrator. <laughs> it is. Um, his scientist friend, Dr. Agasa, uh, outfits him with a few gadgets so that he can continue to solve crimes at a high school level while being a child. <laughs> and one of those things is the voice modulating bow tie. Um, another is super powered sneakers so he can kick things. Another is bungee suspenders and the piece de resistance is a wristwatch with a tranquilizer dart in it. And the voice modulator bow tie looked like it was custom made from half double design, not your granny's crochet. Amanda can create just about any custom scarf, blanket, hat, beanie, you name it. If you're a teenager reduced to the size of a small boy and you need to solve murders, Amanda is waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Halfdoubledesign.com. So he spends the next 25 years uh, (laughs) knocking this poor man unconscious and solving crimes. (laughs) And so this PI is like, oh, like I really, you know, turned my business around. I'm famous now. I'm doing really well. I wonder if I should go to the hospital for all this memory loss. Yeah. Can you imagine the kind of doctor's visit and the results that would come through on this poor man? Oh, just, oh, your blood test shows like just ketamine. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know anything about that? No, sorry. (laughs) The, the, the second story I like too, because it shows Rachel, um, pretty much saving the day because Conan 
he eventually finds the the the, the plot of that one is um, this. I think the title was the kidnapped debutante, and the girl is kidnapped, and he eventually figures it out, and he rides like the family dog to go find the uh, the location where the girl is kept. But but he's so small, he can't pretty much physically apprehend the kidnapper. And you're wondering how he's going to do it. And Rachel comes in out of nowhere and just like obliterates this kidnapper over the course of a few pages. I thought it was amazing. My God. Oh, some great action. I really, really like that they made her the heavy. Mm. Um, I feel like they dial it back as the years go on in the series. There's a little more like, oh no, Rachel's the damsel in distress. But early on, I just, I think it's a lot of fun to just watch her <laughs> kick a murderer to death. <laughs> You're the prototypical fan that loves to just see that violence. <laughs> yeah, it's just, again, I think it's um, I think it's fun that we've got this setup where we still do have this, you know, very clever boy detective, but he's been cut down to size. Mm-hmm. Uh, now he really is being forced to rely on, you know, the girlfriend he was teasing. Like, like, oh no, like now she's going to save his ass. Like, yeah. oh, like you are a child. Like you are going to be put in a lot of situations where you have no dignity. Like, the girl you were trying to ask out is ordering you a kitty meal. It introduces a tension that wouldn't be there if it were just a straight, you know, teen solving crime series. Do you think they'll ever end it? Do you think he'll ever uh, reverse shrink? I mean, I, I hope there is an ending. I hope that uh, Gosho Aoyama, the author, I hope he doesn't just, you know, have a heart attack or something before he gets <laughs> to finish it. Yeah. Uh, I certainly hope that it will wrap because I think it's been a lot of fun and they do develop a really interesting... Um, ongoing plot in the background so it stays very much a mystery a day series but there's enough that they dole out slowly that you do want to keep up with it to find out like oh like who is this secret organization is the Mm -hmm. fbi involved like who are these side characters um what do these people know that they're not telling and they do a really good job of building in just enough tension to keep you hanging around the manga that i that i read after the fact um, I really loved the style of the book and I was actually really shocked at how close the anime was to the manga. And I don't know if this is the case and hopefully you can shed light on it, but it was almost like word for word, direct adaptation. It stays reasonably close. Um, early on, they do make a few changes within the series that they then have to go back, uh, the writers of the anime have to go back and try and fix when they've diverged too much. Mm. And then something plotty happens in the manga. Um, 25 years later, the art style on the show is very, very different, Mm. but I think the manga still is very appealing looking and warm and round. And it has a, um, a softness to it that is very nice. Uh, and that you do find in some episodes, but the style of the anime has really, really become sharp and angular so it's quite jarring if you look at these early episodes side by side with some of the ones that are currently airing. It's a really different looking program. If people liked this this anime, what else is out there that maybe would be like a stepping stone? Like for me, oh. who generally doesn't watch much of any anime, if I enjoyed this, where should I go next? That's a really good question. Because uh, this is sort of a strange a strange property. Yeah. It's a, a family show about gruesome murders. <laughs> um <laughs> I've heard the Kindachi Case Files is a good mystery series. Uh, but if you're looking for something that still has this sort of warmth and humor and accessibility, that's hmm, a good question. Because this really does sort of come from the 90s. It's very mm-hmm. of its own era. Mm-hmm. Um, Kodomo no Omocha 
is a good series. Uh, another lesser known one from the mid nineties. Uh, and that's about a child television star who thinks that she can solve the problems of everyone around her. If she's just <laughs> upbeat enough, <laughs> I love it. it's, it's very, very slapstick and very, very wacky, but also has a lot of heart. Um, mm. That would probably be fun if you're looking for something else that has um, kids in adult professions antics. Yeah. What about um, with you and reading manga? You're a seasoned manga reader. I am. How, how did it start? What was the first thing that led you to it? Uh, when I was a kid, I've always loved comics. Uh, I'm a cartoonist. I love them. Uh, and as a child, I would go to the library and I would read literally anything in the comic section. So New Yorker cartoons, High and Lois collections, mm. anything I could get my hands on. Uh, and one of those things was uh, a manga, before we were using the term manga over here, called What's Michael? And it was just a really, really beautiful book of comics about cats. Uh, but it was drawn gorgeously and I'd never seen anything like it. And I sort of followed that thread. You know, I kept rooting through the library, you know, seven or eight years old. Um, and when Pokemon came out, they began bringing out some of the manga adaptations of that. And that was the first time it was accessible to me. Mm. That was the first time I could go to the bookstore and pick up like, ah, this is one of those black and white books that's really detailed. I wanted to look at this. And from there, that just sort of led me down the rabbit hole, uh, you know, to Nausicaa and Ranma um, things Viz was bringing out in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then we had the big Tokyo pop boom in the mid 2000s. And like the market was absolutely saturated. We had tons mm -hmm. of stuff coming out. Uh, it destabilized the manga market a bit, but it has recovered. And now we're in a place where we're starting to see a lot of interest in, you know, historically significant manga, um, keeping concurrent with best selling titles from, you know, magazines like Shonen Jump and Shonen Sunday. Uh, I think, I think the market for manga is not the voracious thing it was in the mid two thousands, but I think it has matured a lot and people are beginning to appreciate the breadth of genre that manga offers. Yeah. There's so much out there. It's, it can be daunting for someone like me, um, who doesn't know where to jump in. And I know in a previous episode, um, my hero academia, ah. uh, which was the first time I'd ever read that. And I love that. Um, so that was a good jumping in point. And it's funny you mentioned the library aspect. Um, I'm trying to think of if I'd ever go. To, I, it was interesting. I don't think I've ever been to the library when I was younger. I would always go to, we had a milkshake shop Aww. in the town that I grew up and it had like one spinner rack of comics. And that's how I, I think I first started reading. Um, will you be taking your son to the library? Oh, already doing it. Yeah. He's, um, He's not quite two, but he really loves to be read to and to look through books on his own. He will sit down and he will look at a comic book, but he doesn't get a lot out of it yet. He, mm. But he gets a lot out of comic adjacent books, things like um, Richard Scarry's uh, Busy Town books, mm. which have a lot going on and are really densely illustrated. He'll just sit and pore over that and find characters he wants to follow from page to page. Uh, so it's it's a lot of fun watching a little brain develop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To come back to your comment on on comics being so insular, um, my son loves reading Dogman. Oh yeah. Which is the first time I'd ever heard of it was when he I think he brought it home from school, and I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is this is like a book that kids are buying, <laughs> and I pride myself on being like kind of aware of what's going on and. 
you dig in a little bit more and Dogman is like one of the best selling um kids books out there and That's the same author as Captain Underpants, right? Yes, exactly. And uh it's just so wild to see the the varying areas of books, uh, graphic books to see what's successful and what kids are reading and cuz it's it's in J- my son James, he kind of just doesn't even really care about comics that much mainstream comics like you know floppies or singles or whatever mm-hmm. captain america what what have you but dog man and uh books like that captain underpants he's all for it it's just so wild that middle grade market is blowing up right now and i think it's really exciting we're starting to see these like really well written and well told and well drawn books that are accessible like through scholastic book orders and through book fairs uh, at the bookstore and i think like Man, when I was a kid, I had to work so hard to track down anything that wasn't Garfield. And I had Garfield. I had like every book of Garfield too. (laughs) And then my older brother would read The Far Side. Oh yeah, Far Side's great. I love The Far Side. Me too. It's weird. You don't ever hear anyone talk about The Far Side anymore. Well, it's been, you know, out of the newspapers for so long. I don't know. It's sort of uh, pre-internet internet humor in a way. It is. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I wonder, I've always been so struck by that book doesn't really have a place in modern discourse. You know, no. like, no, you don't hear people reference the far side or like, hey, remember this old far side comic? It's just like this weird little void where that book lives in. Um, I don't know. It's just always a, always a funny book. I'm actually looking at uh, three volumes on the bookshelf across from me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Way ahead of its time. My God, if there was an Instagram account that was pumping those things out, that thing would be very popular right now. Yeah, it's strange to think how just a pre-internet thing can vanish. Yeah. This past year, you wrapped up Beauty and the Beast. I did. How did you feel when that was finished? Tired. <laughs> so I've been drawing that adaptation for seven years. Yeah. Uh, that was my first, um, well, it wasn't my first comic, but it was sort of the comic where I said like, okay, if you want to do this seriously, the best way to learn is to do a comic. So I'll do a comic and like, okay, I guess that worked. Now that's my profession. Mm. That gamble paid off, but it is very strange to say goodbye to something that has been with me through such an era of my life and it's the the final trade i think is being collected in may right that's right book book three yeah volume three will be out for uh tcaf the toronto comic arts festival um i guess i'll see what happens to it after that might uh put it in the vault for a little bit maybe revisit (laughs) it update the artwork (laughs) it's funny you're not the first person i've talked to who has done a web comic and has gone back kind of quietly or not quietly to (laughs) update update certain aspects of the artwork i know i know that that path leads to madness that's like george lucas syndrome oh back to the to the movies i'm just gonna add cg yoda like it's important (laughs) to me that he be in this book what's your all-time favorite manga oh um i'm gonna have to say Maison Ikoku. it's a, a late 70s early 80s series from rumiko takahashi um, it's 15 volumes. It concludes, and it's the story of uh, an absolutely garbage college dropout who is trying to win the heart of his widowed landlady. And it's it's so funny, and it's so there's so much pathos, 
It starts out as a really slapstick series and then winds up just an absolute soap opera. What do you look for in a manga when you're when you're trying to find a new one or what what connects you the most with them? I think oh, that's a good question. I think if there's a strong narrative hook, that's a great way to get me in. Like something like Detective Conan that does have a really interesting setup. Uh, you know, that piques my curiosity, makes me want to stick around a little bit to see how they're going to handle things. Um, I want to be charmed by characters. Like I want I want there to be characters that I can either uh, care about or sort of appreciate the hubris that befalls them. Hmm. Um, I enjoy slice of life a lot. So strong characterization is a big thing. And I think strong composition is the third factor that really determines how much I enjoy a book. I want to... I want that page layout to really draw my eye along, uh, which is why, although I do read a fair bit of shoujo manga as well, um, girls manga, I guess we'd say, hmm. uh, the layouts in a lot of those tend to be much, much looser and much more free-flowing. And sometimes that's a deal breaker for me if there's not good composition on the page. And bonus points if the manga has a um, roller coaster decapitation. Oh, I mean, obviously that goes without saying. <laughs> Thank you to Megan for coming onto the podcast to share her love of Case Closed with me and you. Next week is the season finale, and it's focused on one of my all-time favorite topics ever. Get ready. This means you just have two more weeks to get your letters into the mailbag episode. Uh, hopefully, I can get Amanda back into the recording studio for that one. And even if it's just a tweet... You don't have to send a letter. It can just be a tweet to at FaveSpot on Twitter uh, or a comment on IG. I'll be reading those as well. Whatever is easiest for you. You know, real quick, if you've enjoyed the show so far, stop what you're doing, share a link to this episode, retweet the main account, share a photo on IG, maybe use that fancy Spotify stuff uh, to help spread the word of the show. It's greatly appreciated. Season is almost over. Drawing to a close. Goodbye.